The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Almost there. Danucci pressure. Taken down. A DC sack with a host of defenders. Joe Wallace. It's a loss of 10 with Jamal Brooks. That was a highlight from the game that I went to yesterday at Audi Field. The DC defenders beating the Seattle Sea Dragons in the playoffs. 37 to 21. I was there with Tommy. I was there with Doc. Um, we were hosted uh, very, very graciously by John and Courtney English in their suite. Uh, I had a great time. That's the first time I've been to Audi Field for an actual sporting event. I've not been to a DC United game and I haven't been to uh, a Defenders game. It was a great atmosphere. It was not a sellout. The rain, I think, kept it from being sold out yesterday. Apparently, the crowds have been bigger in previous weeks, but you know, we had all of that rain yesterday. It was damp. It was also chilly. Um, but the noise was phenomenal. It was loud in that place. I had Cole Kublik on the show this morning on the radio show. Cole um, is an SEC network analyst and an ESPN analyst, and he worked the game yesterday for ABC. Cole's terrific, by the way, on the draft. He was so good today on the draft. I would uh, encourage you to go listen to that at the team980.com. But Cole said to me, he said, that stadium, it was the first time that he had been uh, in that stadium. He said, it's perfect for you know what they're doing in the XFL. And he said, it's perfect for a lot of smaller conference college football teams um, that just want a better atmosphere rather than playing in a big place. And it got loud in that joint. I mean, it was great. It was, um, look, the, the, the football is the football. And I have no idea if the XFL is going to survive or not. You know, these are all uh, teams that are owned by the league. Uh, and I don't know what the business plan is. I would assume that they're going to try at some point to start selling these teams to individual owners for, 
you know, whatever they can get for them and then, you know, put the onus on expenses on those owners and try to get a better TV deal. Uh, look, they're on ESPN and they're on ABC, which is good for them. Um, but I don't know that they're getting paid. I think it's probably more of a barter deal, but I'm not exactly sure, to be honest with you. Um, I'm just guessing that that's the case. But uh, I came in with the highlight of Ben DiNucci being sacked by a Greg Williams defense. Uh, ben DiNucci, remember him? Played for the Cowboys back in 2020. Remember when John Bostick knocked Andy Dalton out of that game at FedEx and DiNucci came in? Uh, and you know that was kind of the beginning of a of a decent run for Washington to a seven and nine record, but a division title. They hammered the Cowboys twice that year. Remember that they beat them in that game where Danucci played, like twenty five to three, I think was the final score. And then they crushed them on Thanksgiving uh, Day, forty one to thirteen, I think it was something like that. Um, uh, but that seems like a long time ago now. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that was that Ben DiNucci. I had a great time. Great atmosphere. Fun day. Um, saw um, saw some of you out there. Uh, some of you came up and introduced yourself to me as I was walking out of the stadium, actually, um, yesterday. I did leave a little bit early. Uh, Doc seemed to have a problem with that. Uh, he had a problem with that because he got there two hours or three hours before kickoff and then probably stayed an hour and a half afterwards. I actually decided with the game getting lopsided that since I Ubered down there, I would leave and catch an Uber before I was waiting an hour and a half for an Uber because maybe everybody else was Ubering. Um, and I got home in time to see the fourth quarter of Golden State Sacramento, which I will definitely talk about on this show today. In fact, just one guest on the show today, and that guest is Glenn Consor, uh, my friend Glenn Consor, who is great talking, you know, Wizards for sure, but we're going to talk about Steph Curry's performance in the final segment of the show uh, today. Before that, a lot on the draft coming up for sure. The show today is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, MyBookie.com. Use my promo code, KevinDC. This weekend, the UFC Bantamweight champion goes head-to-head with one of the most decorated combat athletes of all time in the main event at UFC 288. MyBookie had the matchup between Sahedo and Sterling as a near coin flip, but most of the early money came in on Sterling. Now, if you're asking yourself, why should you choose MyBookie over the combat? competition. It's simple. They give you the best bang for your buck, period. You can score huge wins on boosted odds with the MyBookie money bag or take advantage of every momentum swing with in-match live betting. And as you know, you've got in-game betting. You've got every prop bet you need for the NFL season uh, next year. Um, Sign up today. Use my promo code KevinDC. Uh, Grab yourself a welcome bonus on your first deposit as well. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. So instead of starting off with a draft recap of the just-completed 2023 draft, I'm going to start you off with a look ahead to next year's all-too-early 2024 mock drafts. Why am I doing that? Because it'll give you an idea of where a lot of the NFL people think Washington is going to finish. Uh, CBS Sports, Washington picking fourth overall 
If you pick fourth overall, you did not have a very good season. But they did have Washington selecting North Carolina quarterback Drake May. In fact, um, almost every mock draft I looked at uh, for 2024 has Arizona with the first two picks. Arizona's not supposed to be good. And then they also... Uh, because they traded their pick uh, this year to Houston. They have Houston's first-round pick next year. Houston traded back up to get Will Anderson after they drafted C.J. Stroud. So almost every mock draft has this weird look at the beginning for the 2024 mock draft of Arizona going 1-2 in the draft next year. Now That assumes that Arizona and Houston will be the two worst teams in the league. Uh, CBS Sports has Caleb Williams number one overall, and then Arizona picking Marvin Harrison Jr., who is expected to be the Ohio State wide receiver, the number one wide receiver in the draft next year. And then Indy, they've got picking third, and because Indy just selected Anthony Richardson, they're not going to select a quarterback, and that would leave Washington, if they could finish with the fourth worst record, having a chance maybe at Drake May, the North Carolina quarterback. But to finish fourth worst in the NFL, just so you understand, you've got to you've got to win four or less games. All right. The Colts had the fourth pick in the draft. They finished four, twelve, and one. I just don't see Washington finishing with a bottom four record in the league. It's possible that their quarterback situation is so awful, or, you know, the you know the the thing that gets a lot of NFL teams, and that is the injury bug. If they end up being severely injured and have and losing lots of key players, you know that's one way to get to four or less wins. I just think that defensively, they're going to be too good. Look, they had no quarterback last year. They had a an anemic offense at times, and they won eight games with that defense. So I can't see them losing less than six. And, you know, the Raiders this year had the seventh pick in the draft with six wins. If you have the seventh pick in the draft, you're probably not going to get one of the top two quarterbacks, those top two quarterbacks being Caleb Williams and Drake May. Um, Now, uh, Quinn Ewers, the quarterback at Texas, and Bo Nix, the quarterback at Oregon, are considered to be like the next group of quarterbacks, somebody else will emerge between now and then. I'm not a big fan of either one of them, uh, to be honest with you. I thought Bo Nix played incredibly well compared to the way he played at Auburn, uh, at Oregon last year. Um, But anyway, back to the 2024 mock drafts. Fox Sports has Washington also selecting fourth overall. They've got them selecting Jared Verse, edge rusher, Florida State. PFF has Washington finishing sixth overall. They've got them taking Fashami, a tackle from Penn State. And then Sporting News, I don't see ESPN's all too early out yet. Should be, though. I just couldn't find it. Sporting News has Washington selecting sixth, and they also have them selecting this guy, Verse, the edge rusher from Florida State. I looked at a lot of the smaller kind of mock drafts all too early. Washington somewhere between ninth and fourth in terms of where they would be selecting. That does not put them in the playoffs if they end up selecting uh, between those uh, spots, between four and nine. But you know what? As I've said many times in the past, they're going to go ahead and play the games anyway. Uh, that's what they do. 
Uh, and it'll prove, once again, that the league is not a year-to-year league. It's not even a month-to-month league. It is a week-to-week league. It is very unpredictable. Not as unpredictable as the NHL is in the postseason. How about that last night? Boston sets the NHL record for wins in a season, and they're out in the first round in an overtime game in Game 7 to Florida. Uh, As an aside, I don't know that there's anything more suddenly dramatic than a Game 7 NHL overtime game. The tension is unreal. Uh, That is so entertaining to watch. But, look, Washington has been predictable in recent years, obviously predictably bad. Um, but that, you know, just reminds me to keep our eyes on the big win here in the offseason. Who knows what they did in the draft? I'm going to go through it. Um, who knows if, you know, Andrew Wiley is going to turn out to be their best offensive lineman or a massive improvement. Um, all of that stuff is so, so secondary to Dan Snyder selling the team. We don't have to suspend reality anymore. The reality that they can't win over a sustained period of time as long as he owns the team. That's the best news we've had as a fan base in years, years. And so that is the big win of this offseason. I would take right now, if you told me right now, Sheehan, every single draft choice turns out to be a bust. But guess what? Uh, Snyder is selling the team and you're going to have a new owner in 2023. If you had told me that a few months ago, I would have taken that and run with it. Um, It really is. The football stuff right now, especially when you consider the odds are pretty high, I mean, they're certainly better than 50-50, that the people right now running the organization aren't going to be here a year from now. Um, It's all about 2023 with a new owner and watching what that new owner does with the franchise. Uh, It's not going to stop us from talking football um, and talking about the 2023 team in great detail uh, because we love the games. But the biggest win of all time uh, for any offseason with this franchise is Dan selling the team. Uh, All right, so um, we did Emmanuel Forbes on Friday. If you missed Fred Smoot, he was great. Smoot's phenomenal. Uh, as as an analyst of college football and of the draft and of games, and you know, I, I enjoy our conversations together. And Fred was great on Emmanuel Forbes, and I had my kind of view on Emmanuel Forbes. We did a lot of Emmanuel Forbes on Friday. Um, I'm going to tackle the rest of the draft now, but I did want to mention that. Brent Visselmeyer, who is the acting DBs coach for Chris Harris, I think he's going to be elevated to that position officially, just like I think Travell Wharton will be as well uh, on offense as the O-line coach. Um, Visselmeyer was interviewed by, uh, somebody sent this to me, by Fanside, I think it is, or Fan Nation. Um, And he was asked about Emmanuel Forbes being selected by the team on Thursday night. And Visselmeyer, the current DB's coach, who I think is going to become the full-time DB's coach, said, quote, he's got that it factor. When I was in Oakland, Visselmeyer worked in Oakland, I got to work with Charles Woodson in the final year of his career. The amazing thing is when the ball was in the air, he became the receiver. I think that's the one thing Emmanuel does a great job with. Ball's up in the air, he doesn't panic, he finds the football, closed quote. 
comparing him a little bit there to Charles Woodson. I think we would take that. Look, that's the reason Emmanuel Forbes was drafted instead of Christian Gonzalez. I think there were other reasons as well. Ben um, had mentioned to me that the profile of Gonzalez was a guy that was a bit too laid back for some teams, and that may have been the case with Washington. And look, Gonzalez, who was supposed to be you know a potential top 10 pick, didn't go until 17. Um, you know, if you want to be hung up on they took the lesser of the two corners that were available at 16, well, then you should get into this business because you know, you know more than everybody else. But you don't know at this point. You don't know. You might be right. You might be wrong. But what this team wanted is they wanted a takeaway art- artist. They wanted the guy that has 14 career interceptions and then scored with six of them, an NCAA record. They were 26th in takeaways last year, 28th in interceptions. They had an offense that was anemic. There's no promise that the offense is going to be significantly better. I think it should be better, although we don't really know. Uh, That would be with Brissett. We don't know what Howell's going to be. But they've got a really good defense with one exception, and that is they didn't turn their opponents over enough. And because of that, they went 8-8-1. Eight, eight, and one. The defense was good enough to get them to eight wins, but if it had turned over the opponents a little bit more, it would have helped out an offense that really struggled. And that's why Emmanuel Forbes was taken more than any other reason at 16. They think they've got a guy that when the ball is in the air, he doesn't panic, he finds the football. Now, Visselmeyer was also asked about the weight. Uh, by the way, According to Stathead Football, Emmanuel Forbes is the only cornerback drafted since 2000 who weighed in under 170 pounds at the Indy Combine. 166, as you know by now, was the weight for Emmanuel Forbes. Um, But uh, Visselmeyer said, um, quote, First of all, our scouts and all those guys do a good job. They do a good job with all the body tests and all those things. In three years, I don't think he missed a game with an injury while playing in the toughest division. It's not like he plays backing down from anything if you watch the film. They challenge him on perimeter screens, perimeter screens that is, and they run at him, and the kid doesn't back down, close quote. Then he made some comment about bring your popcorn. I think Del Rio said the same thing. They're really excited out there about Emmanuel Forbes. Really excited about the player. They might be wrong. They've been wrong about other players. Um, But, you know, if you did watch him and you watched the tape, you know he didn't back down. He was facing the SEC West all year long. And this kid went after people as a tackler, um, and he didn't let any of the big, strong receivers push him around. I'm excited about the first-round pick as much as you can be. You know, um, and that leads me to this. Before I get into looking at the rest of their picks, uh, I'm not going to grade the draft. I don't think I've graded the draft in a few years. Somebody may prove me wrong on that. Maybe I just, you know, went with it one year and gave them a grade. But I, I really think we've gotten to a point where it's a lot of fun, it's great theater, it's great television. Um, it is, you know, foundational for these franchises. Um, but you don't know which pieces are going to be part of the foundation. You know, a lot of the evaluations of these drafts, they're just, they're a joke. I mean, the grades, the, you know, uh, the grades from the people that do this, I'm not talking about the teams, I'm talking about these people who are in this cottage draft, mock draft industry. They don't know. They don't know because the teams don't know. 
The team's hit on one out of three is a good number, somewhere around 33 34 35% contributing within three years. Doesn't even have to be a major contributor, just contributing, still on the roster, playing, meaningful. Two out of the three that they pick won't be more likely than not. And I think one of the things that a lot of you get hung up on a lot in evaluating a draft is like, look, Sheehan, I'm not sitting here telling you that I know that the players that they drafted are bad or good. I'm just telling you that they overdrafted here and they underdrafted here based on where they were supposed to be drafted. And that's the part that I want to just focus in on for just a moment. I think now that's overrated. I think the consensus, you know, numbers and, you know, we heard, um, you know, after Friday night that Ricky Stromberg and, and Quan Martin were overdrafted, that the consensus had them going much later than the second and third round, much later than 47 and 97 overall. And then we heard later on K.J. Henry at uh, 137th uh, overall in the fifth round was actually a great uh, pick based on where he should have been taken. But I think what's happening here is that the consensus of the mocks is different than the team's boards. The teams are evaluating these players much deeper than mock drafts are, mock drafters are. You, mock drafters, and, and I'm talking about the really good ones, they're watching a lot of tape, and then they get, they're at the Senior Bowl, and then they are at the Indy Combine, but, Combine, but so much of the evaluation now is an evaluation of the psychological profile. You know, what kind of guy are we getting? Are we getting a guy that loves football? Are we getting a high-character guy? Are we getting a good teammate? Are we getting somebody that's coachable? Are we getting somebody that needs to be babysat for? Or are we getting an adult? And then there's another part of this that's become more important in recent years. Scheme fit. Does he fit within what we want to do? Because we've gotten away from the Bobby Bethards and the Charlie Casserly's for years telling me, you make big mistakes when you draft for need. More and more teams are drafting for need. You know, now, you know, they're not drafting way off their board for need, uh, way off their rankings for need, but they're looking for fits for what they want to do and how they want to coach it. You might say the best coaches are the ones that pick the best players and then, then adapt their scheme to the talent they have. That's fine, but not everybody does it that way. The team's boards are often much different than the boards you're looking at and the consensus numbers you're looking at. You know, I don't think Emmanuel Forbes would have lasted four or five more picks for those of you that think he got so overdrafted. You know, he got picked at 16. Well, I mean, we kind of know that Bill Belichick moved up to 17 because he knew Washington was going to take Forbes. I don't like that he knew that Washington was going to take Forbes. And then they took Gonzalez. We don't know that Detroit or Tampa or Seattle or the Chargers um, or Minnesota at 23 wouldn't have taken Forbes or Gonzalez had they made it to those spots. In fact, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that Forbes would not have made it past 25. The Giants moved up to take Deontay Banks at 25. The Vikings were looking at corner in this draft. They drafted Jordan Addison because the corners they liked, according to a lot of the Minnesota people, were gone. That would have included Witherspoon, Gonzalez, and yes, Emmanuel Forbes. We don't know 
the other team's boards. The only boards that matter based on determining whether or not a guy was overdrafted or underdrafted is if you really liked the player and you took him there, could you have waited and taken him with your next pick? Or could you have waited and taken him by trading up you know, later in, in the first round? You don't know that. I don't think Jahan Dotson would have lasted much longer last year. I don't know about, you know, uh, uh, about Quan Martin or Ricky Stromberg. I'm just telling you that the team's boards are different and the way these players are evaluated now are more dependent, more the emphasis is on a lot of the stuff that you don't see at the Senior Bowl, you don't see at the Indy Combine, and you don't see on tape. And a lot of it is we got to we we need to draft a guy that fits for us. Um. Anyway, I, that that's I, I I told this story earlier this morning, and Tommy and I have talked about Josh Larebus, and we've we've talked about this story many times that when they took him in 2012 in the third round, um, we didn't even know who he was. Like he wasn't on anybody's big board. Now, y- if you start drafting people in the second or third round or first round, that, is, that, that they're not even on a top 500 big board, that may be a problem. I'll concede that. Loribus in 2012 wasn't on anybody's big board. We were looking for ev- through everything. And we're like, we, didn't, we couldn't find anything on the dude. Shanahan told us, you know, uh, a few years later, told me a few years later, because we were talking about that draft, you know, about Cousins in particular, uh, and RG3, of course, and I said, God, you know, that draft, you could have taken Russell Wilson in the third round instead of Larebus because he liked Russell Wilson more than Cousins. If Wilson had been there in the fourth round, he would have taken Russell Wilson, not Cousins. Um, that would have been something. Uh, but anyway, um, I said, what about that Larebus guy? He said, yeah, he said he was a great, z- he, we really liked him as a zone run uh, blocker, as a zone scheme uh, blocker. And I mentioned that, you know, he wasn't, we couldn't find anything about him. And he said, no, 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 there were other teams that were going to take him before the fourth round or at the latest somewhere in the fourth round. Um, and that's what I think is in play here that sometimes um, those that are so sure that they overdrafted a player, I, 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 don't, I don't think you really know. I don't think we really know. All right, I will get to um, the rest of their players drafted in rounds two through seven right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Go to windownation.com or call them at 866-90-NATION. Mention my name, you get a free estimate. They've got one of their best deals of the year going on right now. If you want to finance the purchase of your windows, you can do so with no interest for five years. You won't pay interest until the year 2028. Plus, buy two, get two free, so you're paying half price on the windows. Window Nation is a great company to work with. I've been working with them for 14 years. Coming up on 14 years that I've been an endorser for Window Nation. Love the people there. Love the job they do. Love the product that they have. And the deal right now is a good one. And again, if you call them, uh, you get a free estimate, and then you can figure out what you want to do. But 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. Mention my name, Kevin Sheehan. All right, let's go through uh, the rest of the draft. And again, um, I'll give you some grades too from various people on Washington's draft. But again, I don't consider them to be overly worthy. But I know a lot of you do. Um, but again, three years from now, we can look back, you know, on the draft and really have a sense of it. Like, you know, as an example with Washington, you know, let's just take this particular group. We're now three years removed from the 2020 draft. Chase Young could ultimately be. One of the biggest busts of all time. Could be. Uh, Antonio Gibson has been a meaningful contributor. Third round pick. I like Gibson. I hope that they don't get rid of Gibson at the end of next year. I hope they don't just make Gibson a flanker, you know, or have him fill the J.D. McKissick role. I think Gibson is a good in-between-the-tackles runner. He's big. He's strong. I like Gibson a lot. You know I do. Got rid of the fumbling problem. Um, Gibson was, you know, a contributor. Sadiq Charles was picked in the fourth round. Remember how many of you thought Sadiq Charles and Antonio Gandy-Golden, oh my God, got great value compared to the consensus, you know, uh, numbers on them. Uh, neither one of them uh, has contributed anything at this point. Sadiq Charles still has a chance. Uh, Keith Ishmael, you know, not much of a contributor. Kalik Hudson, a special teamer. Contributor Cam Curl, obviously the big find along with Gibson uh, in this draft. And then James Smith-Williams is, you know, not a meaningful contributor. But you've got Cam Curl, um, uh, Antonio Gibson, and then you did have the defensive rookie of the year, but it could turn out to be one of the all-time busts. Uh, So, you know, not a great draft to have um, two to three meaningful contributors. You know, if you take Chase Young's rookie year and Kalik Hudson's special teams play, James Smith-Williams spot duty here and there, um, you know, you've got a draft that probably hit right at the average, you know, probably a a C-level draft three years later. But really what will great help uh, or will drive the grade lower will be the future of Chase Young and what you could have done in that 2020 draft at quarterback, which you can go back and do on almost any draft. But anyway, all right. Um, so let's start with Quan Martin. I, you know, I don't remember Quan Martin. I watched a lot of Illinois. Uh, Witherspoon was obviously the guy that really stood out. I think Illinois, by the way, with Brett Bielma is going to be a power in the Big Ten ending college football um, in the coming years. Uh, loved their running back, Chase Brown. But I watched a bunch of, of tape from Quan this weekend, and to me he looks like 
you know, a player that really fits their what they want to do. You know, to me, he is a Bobby McCain replacement. I think he is versatile, you know, position flexibility. You hear that a lot with Ron talking about the offensive line in particular. But, you know, he's a guy that can play at the line of scrimmage. He's a guy that can be single high. Um, as a safety. I mean, I kind of like the player on tape. I mean, and I like the scheme fit. Uh, you know, Ben Standig spelled out where all the consensus, you know, drafts, uh, mock drafters had him. And this looks like a guy that was slightly overdrafted. But again, I don't care about that. Um, unless it's, you know, off everybody's board, completely big board, and they took him in the first, second, or third. Uh, but I kind of like the player, Martin. I think he fits. And as far as them going, you know, essentially uh, going DB, DB to start with, look, one of their areas of need was defensive backfield, corner safety. They got a guy in Martin that can play safety. They got a guy in Forbes that can play corner. Look, the first four picks were two DBs and two offensive linemen. If I had told you before Thursday they're going to come out of this draft with two offensive linemen and two uh, and two DBs, and oh by the way, two edge rushers because that was another area of potential need with the Chase Young fifth year, uh, fifth year option being declined, you would have said that's awesome, and I would have said yeah, but they didn't get a quarterback, and that was their number one need. Uh, but you know we know why that is. Um, anyway, I thought Quan Martin on tape looked pretty good. Uh, Stromberg. I think the one thing Stromberg says more than anything else, the center from Arkansas picked it with their compensatory pick, and that's the Brandon Sheriff compensatory pick at the end of the third round. I think what that says more than anything else is that Chase Ruye is gone. You sign Nick Gates, I think he's going to be the starting center, or Tyler Larson, because I think they want a veteran center for this first year with Sam Howell. But I think they drafted Ricky Stromberg in, in effect because they believe that this kid can be their starting center in the future. Um, he was, uh, at Arkansas, uh, a player of high acclaim. Um, you know, what you, what you read about Stromberg and I didn't watch a lot of tape. And by the way, Cooley's going to be on the show Wednesday. He'll do Forbes and Martin on Wednesday, and then we'll get him to do Stromberg and the rest of the draft over the next couple of weeks. Um, but what you see with Stromberg, um, in particular, and what you read about Stromberg is a technician at the position. Uh, he can really play the position. Like this is kind of like a best case. Garrett Bradbury, Minnesota starting center. He's not going to overpower you. He's not big. He's not super strong, but he's a technician and he's really, really smart. For me, I can't tell you if Ricky Stromberg is going to end up being a guy that was totally worth the pick. I can't. But it tells me that they felt in this offseason they had a major need at center. One of the reasons is they went through so many injuries at center, right, uh, over the last couple of years. And Chase Ruye is going to be a big cap savings when they cut him post-June 1, which they're going to do. Uh, Braden Daniels is interesting. Fourth round Utah. First of all, if you've watched Utah over the last couple of years, you love the way they play physical in the trenches. Um, they are a physical downhill running team, very different from the Pac-12 in which they reside. Pro style, more offense um, than anything else, if there's even such a thing anymore. Uh, I did think it was interesting that Braden Daniels was discussed by Ron Rivera as a tackle. He's played right tackle. He's played left tackle. He's played guard. 
Um, now, uh, he weighs in at under 300 pounds. 6'4", though. They're going to put some weight on him. Uh, but Ron, I think, likes his position flexibility uh, and views him as a guy that's going to battle at guard. I mean, I'm sorry, at tackle. That's what he spoke to. I When they drafted him, I was thinking, well, this guy's going to be a guard more likely than not. But he keeps talking about this Chris Paul versus Sadiq Charles showdown for that guard spot that will be vacated by Andrew Norwell. He doesn't even mention Norwell anymore. My guess right now on offensive line is Wiley and Cosme on the right side, Gates at center, the winner of the Paul-Sadiq-Charles showdown, and I think it'll be – I don't know who it'll be, actually. I would favor Charles. I think when he's been healthy, he's been pretty good. And then Leno Jr. at left tackle. And you've got some depth with Larson at center, with Stromberg, uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, Braden Daniels and Cornelius Lucas. And then whomever doesn't win the, the Charles-Paul battle. You know, they needed – I don't know what they've done with the offensive line in this offseason other than to say what we can all say pretty clearly, and that is they have quantity. They have, you know, increased their quantity of offensive linemen. Whether or not they've increased the quality, we don't know until we see it play out. These are Eric Bieniemy decisions, though. I am assuming these are Eric Bieniemy decisions. You know, the Wiley decision was an Eric Bieniemy decision, and I would assume that Stromberg and Daniels were heavily influenced by Eric Bieniemy as well. Uh, KJ Henry, the edge uh, pass rusher from Clemson, just a steady. Uh, from watching him on tape, I don't remember him specifically. I mean, I remember him once I saw the tape. I remember number five for 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 Clemson. Um, but this is, you know, this is a guy that. Um, can get after the quarterback with strength and and technique more than with quick twitch. Uh, so the fact that they drafted not only K.J. Henry, but also Andre Jones in the seventh round, who is one of these taller guys, um, which was interesting to see him also very much sort of a 4-3 defensive end, you know, line up that way, but tall and lanky. Now he's got some moves and some length and some ability to disrupt with his with his size a little bit. Um, but, you know, what it tells me is they are, you know, feel like they're going to have a need for some defensive edge rushing depth n- this year and next. Remember, it's not, you know, it's not just the questions about Chase Young. Shaka Tony is done for the year. But I do, I did like watching um, in particular, Andre Jones, even more than K.J. Henry. There's something about his size, his lankiness, his length, his um, his ability to kind of use his hands and his timing and his sense of anticipation. He just looks like kind of a football player, just maybe not super big and strong enough necessarily, um, but he was a productive player last year at Louisiana. Um, for them, uh, seven and a half sacks and 51 tackles in 12 games. Remember, this is the second player they've taken from Louisiana in two years. They took Percy Butler from Louisiana last year in the fourth round. And then I'll finish up with Chris Rodriguez. Uh, Of the running backs selected in the draft late, and I talked about some of these running backs on the podcast, I'm pretty sure, last week. I know I talked about them on on the radio show. Um... There were a couple of running backs that I really liked that I w- was hoping that if they were going to take a running back, and personally, I don't know why they need a running back. You got Robinson Jr., you got Gibson, and you got Jonathan Williams. 
Um, to me, it's not a position of need, but they view uh, they want size and they want another battering ram. Okay, and Chris Rodriguez, you know, actually size wise looks very similar to Antonio Gibson. Like he's 220 pounds, he's six feet, six one. Gibson's maybe a little bit taller. Um, you know, inside the tackles, physical, downhill, good vision for sure. I just liked a couple of guys that, you know, went right around him. Uh, Chase Brown went before. I love him. I think he's got a chance to be a really good back in the NFL. He got picked by the Bengals in the fifth round before Washington took Rodriguez at 193. I loved Evan Hull from from Northwestern. He went 17 picks before Washington. And then a guy that didn't get drafted but did get signed to a big-time UFA deal was um, uh, uh, Ibrahim uh, from Minnesota. Detroit gave him 100000 in guaranteed money. That's the equivalent of a seventh-round pick. So they you know, drafted Gibbs, and then they signed uh, Muhammad Ibrahim from Minnesota. I-, I love that kid. He just didn't stay healthy. But he, if he stays healthy, he's going to be a really good back. But r- I like Rodriguez. I, I don't dislike him. Um, I think he's, you know, he fits what they obviously are looking for. They're looking for downhill battering rams. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't run like Gibson. You know, Gibson, they want out on the flank. They want him on the edge. They'll probably use him this year the way they used McKissick. And Rodriguez will be the guy maybe that spells uh, Robinson Jr. Or as a sixth rounder, maybe he doesn't even make the team. Um, all right. So there you go. That's the draft. Uh, in terms of where their draft was graded, uh, I've got all the, the gradings here. So there were um, – Kuiper loved the draft. Uh, well, didn't love it. Gave it a B. Loved Forbes. All right, NFL.com uh, gave it a B. Pro Football Focus gave it a B. Uh, Walter Football uh, gave it a B+. Plus. Um, Fox gave it a B-. minus. DraftKings gave it a C plus. USA Today gave it a C. The the Ringer gave it a C. The lowest grade was Sporting News gave it a D. Um, and the, the there there were a lot of of uh, you know d- there's a lot of discussion about the quarterback not being addressed in the draft. They didn't draft a quarterback. Like I think Kuiper said at some point on the broadcast over the weekend they're really going to go with Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett. I think others said that too, and then there were some, uh, you know, draft experts that said they're going to go with Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett, and that's the smart thing to do. I don't know that anybody really knows. Um, we know what Jacoby Brissett is. Jacoby Brissett is essentially a failsafe if Sam Howell can't play, so that they can be a competitive team next year. If Sam Howell can play, um, either next year or in the future, they hope to determine to determine that. And it may not be good enough to, you know, lead them to a big-time season next year, but the big win would be if Sam Howell can play, they can say, look who we drafted. We drafted our next quarterback. Uh, That's the season next year in a nutshell, boys and girls, the quarterback. I mean, it comes down to whether or not they have – Decent quarterback play. Jacoby Brissett is probably not going to turn into a Geno Smith, I don't think, and be a guy that's going to end up getting a three-year deal at the end of next year to stay and be the starter. Could happen. He played well last year in Cleveland, played really well, and got the biggest backup quarterback deal of the offseason. Uh, Sam Howell um, is the, you know, the, the wild card here. 
But quarterback play is everything. What they added in the draft, really, at the end of the day, they hope, like, best-case scenario for this draft is they got a starter in Forbes. They got, uh, a, you know, a, a, a guy that can play 30% of the snaps in the secondary in Martin. Um, and maybe they got themselves some really good depth along the offensive line and, you know, uh, pass rush depth. This offseason, they focused on the offensive line. They drafted two players. They signed two players. They focused on their secondary. They uh, drafted two players. They signed Cam Dantzler. Um, and with the uh, fifth-year option and losing Shaka Tony, they filled out their depth for their defensive line. What didn't they do? They didn't do anything at quarterback. Will they regret not taking Will Levis or – Hendon Hooker or somebody else that went, you know, in later rounds, a Jaron Hall or a DTR or a Stetson Bennett who went to the Rams, perfect fit for him. Who knows? Um, But maybe it was best in the long run that this coaching staff, which will more likely than not, okay, not be here a year from now, that they didn't pick the next next franchise's quarterback. Although it's kind of, I don't know, I hear that argument a lot, and I understand that the new management may want to pick the quarterback, the new coach may want to pick the new quarterback, the new GM may want to pick the new quarterback. But if you picked a quarterback this year, let's just say it was Will Levis, or they you know, uh, traded up for Anthony Richardson, or they took Hendon Hooker in the second round, or you know, traded down. Oh, wait, they couldn't trade down, but whatever. Um, and that quarterback ended up being really good. Do you think anybody who bought the team or was hired by the team is going to have a problem with the previous administration drafting a really good quarterback or signing a really good quarterback? Um, But they didn't do that. Uh, Right now, on paper, they have a decent roster. It was decent at the end of last year. It's decent now. Hopefully the offensive line's upgraded. That's a big, big you know, hope there. Because if they've upgraded the offensive line, it gives the quarterback a better chance. But they need the quarterback to be better as well. All right, we'll finish up the show with Glenn Consor talking about Steph Curry's amazing 50-point Game 7 yesterday when we come back. Under eight minutes remaining. Davis trying to swat it away. Curry with Murray on Three-pointer. Puts it in! Oh, Steph Curry from way down! Beautiful, dominant performance by Curry. Steph Curry yesterday set the NBA record for points in a Game 7. He had 50, 50 points in a Game 7 at Sacramento. They were down two at halftime. Golden State won by 20, and they advanced to face the Lakers in what will be one of the most anticipated non-NBA final series we've seen in the league in a long time. Jumping on with me right now is Glenn Consor. Everybody knows Glenn. Glenn calls the games for the Wizards with Dave. He's been calling them for years. Is occasionally part of the TV broadcast as well. You can follow Glenn on Twitter, at Glenn Consor, C-O-N, S-O-R. And, you know, we have a mutual friend who always says, why don't you put Glenn on the show more often? And I always tell him, if the Wizards actually were a winning team and we had something to talk about, I'd have Glenn on all the time. And, you know, I was thinking about it during that stretch with John and Brad when, you know, there were playoffs, you know, basically for, what was Mm -hmm. it, four out of five years or whatever it was with Randy and then with Scott Brooks. 
We did talk right. a lot. I had you on the show all the time, but you know the team isn't very good these days. It's disappointing, clearly. You know, you could. You know, it's like it's like that old expression. You know, you could still call. You know, you could still call once in a while. <laughs> that, yes, I could. I could. But, you know, back when, when we used to be out in Rockville at the radio station, you'd pop in every once in a while so we'd see you. But we don't really have that would, same yeah. we, we don't have that same group uh, together in the same way that it used to be. Um, I'm, just reading, I'm just reading between the lines, Devin. You know, I mean, you, know, you can call me and just say, hey, how's the family? And. We could talk NBA stuff, and you know, and I could ask you some commander questions, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. You're right. I, you know what? Done. From this point forward, I will call you at least once a year. I promise that. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you know that I would rather be talking about this actually than the NFL draft. But I just spent you know a long time talking about the NFL draft, which is a complete who knows situation. Yesterday was not a who knows situation. That was one of the. Uh, you know, in the last week, we've seen Jimmy Butler score 56 when his team needed every single one of them, pretty much, uh, in that win right. over uh, Milwaukee. And then yesterday, we watched Steph go for 50. I said on radio this morning, Glenn, that I think it, it was one of Steph Curry's greatest performances. But I also think that when you combine Steph from yesterday and Steph from last year's NBA Finals against Boston, that maybe we now put him into uh, an area legacy-wise that maybe we wouldn't have two years ago. Not that he wasn't a slam dunk Hall of Famer and one of the greatest, you know, maybe the greatest shooter that's ever lived. But, man, yesterday, last June, this guy's incredible. Tell, tell me what you thought watching it. Uh, I thought it was an iconic performance. You know, I mean, uh, my phone was lighting up. I was watching the game with my youngest son, and I told him, you know, I've seen a lot of great guards, um, and I don't think I've been, and I don't think I've seen anyone that could number one shoot with his range, shoot with his accuracy, and forget shooting. Put that on the side. How about scoring? I mean, the guy goes to the basket. You don't know what he's going to do. He's, he's coming up with these one-handed teardrops now. Um, he's unguardable, and his handle is unbelievable. And guess what? You know, he defends well, which no one talks about. So I think what we're all witnessing is, you know, one of the all-time greats. And, you know, I don't think... You or I or our grandkids are going to ever see a better shooter than Steph Curry. I've I've said over the years in recent years, he for me and you've watched a lot of uh, of, of players as well. It's the greatest combination of ball handling and shooting in one body that I've ever seen in my lifetime of watching. The only guy that I think would have been close had the three point shot been emphasized more because I think he could have shot it was I thought Isaiah's ball handling in combination with being an excellent shooter, we just didn't see the range because it wasn't emphasized back then because they just didn't do it, as we know. Um, but that Steph's the greatest ball handler shooter in one body of all time. No, he, he is. And what's ama- what makes him so hard to defend, number one, is he doesn't get tired. Uh, his movement without the basketball oh. is unpa- unparalleled. Um, and, you know, when I do my camps in the summer, I teach moving without the ball to get yourself open. I mean, and all you really have to do is watch tapes of him. 
because, you know, he's changing direction. He's walking guys off, coming off screens, endless, endless motion. Um, but what I love about his game is on the catch. When he comes off a screen on the catch, if you're a little too close, maybe a, if, you're, if you're not playing him perfectly, you're going to get burned. Because if you play him too close, he's got that one quick dribble that is so explosive that he's going to go by you because his feet are so quick. And then if, you, if you're not as close, guess what happens? He's bombing threes. So he's impossible to guard. And, and with his range, I mean, where do you double that guy? Look, in, in the NBA, it's all about, you know, what do we got to do to stop these guys? Well, you got to double them, right? You got to make them an early passer. Well, where do you do that with that guy when he's at half court? And I'm exaggerating, but that's no, it's, the problem yeah. with Steph Curry. I loved how you pointed out him moving without the ball. It was so, like, to me, Reggie Miller is one of the greatest all time shooters, and watching him move without the ball and especially come off screens and set screens up was was always great. Steph is great off the ball, whether it's coming off a screen or just a, without a screen, he's able with quick, short movements, with just incredible feel for space, he's able to create separation without a screen. It's so it's so fun to watch that. Uh, you know, yesterday it was it was different yesterday, and maybe you didn't feel it was different. But typically, when he goes off, you know, and let's just call it a forty-point game, not a fifty-point game, you know, there's there's the you know there are the threes off the screen. Whereas you said, if there's any kind of room given, boom, with the quick release. Um, there's the catch and shoots off of somebody else's penetration. There are the step backs. There's the dribbling, you know, creating space for himself. But yesterday, the driving, the finishing with both hands, the floaters, he hit a post-up. I mean, he basically scored in a variety pack way that I'm not sure we've ever seen from him. Usually, you know, there are a bunch of threes, and we know what that looks like, and there are a couple of floaters, and there are a couple of drives. But I thought he did it in more ways than I've ever seen him do it before. Yeah, he, he was a three-level scorer. I mean, it was incredible. To see what he can do, excuse me, to see what he can do, um, you know, they always talk about short, choppy steps on defense to make you quicker instead of taking long, like, lateral strides, right? Yeah. Short, choppy steps make you a better defensive player. It makes slow guys quick. Well, he uses that on offense. You know, it's these machine gun steps when he gets the ball that he just blows by people. And he was doing that all game last night, whether it was like a one dribble from the top of the key, one dribble into a floater. It didn't matter where he was because his feet were so quick. So what we saw him do last night was, like I said, iconic. Yeah, it it was... It was incredible. And um, by the way, in that game, because I want to ask you about some of these other series, including the upcoming one with them and the Lakers, but um, Kevon Looney was unbelievable in that game yesterday. I mean, they obviously don't win that game without Curry going for 50 because Clay was couldn't hit the, the ocean from a boat. You know, uh, I think he shot four for 19 in the game, but Looney had 21 rebounds, <laughs> 10 offensive rebounds. Those are 10 extra possessions that he got his team, most of which ended with a Curry score. 
Right. Well, you know, Kevin, I know you don't call me that much anymore, but <laughs> I know you still follow me on Twitter. Yeah. And I tweeted last night in the middle of that game that, and I and I'm going to stand by it. I'm doubling down. Kavon Looney to me is the most underrated, undervalued, understated player in the history of the NBA. Whoa! That guy's yes. That guy has been on on championship teams. He just gives you what you need. You know he can shoot it. Um, but think about it for a second. No, you know when you're on a team with Clay, Steph, and Draymond, you're forgotten. Doesn't matter who the next next two guys are. This guy is an old school, you know, center who is excellent on defense. He 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 can defend the pick and roll game out top. He blocks shots. He gets every offensive rebound, and no one talks about him as one of the top centers in the NBA. Well. I came out with that tweet, and um, you know, I I believe that. I mean, that they don't win that game without him rebounding like that. He had it was. I think it was game three, the game that Draymond missed that he was suspended for. I think he had twenty rebounds in that game as well. I mean, look, what you said, I'm sure got some attention because it is. It's 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 way way over the top on on so many ways, but I I totally agree with you that he's unbelievably underrated uh, as as a player. And here's the other thing on that team. They don't have any size without him. He's their only size. Well, let me me pose it to you this way. And and, and I want you to put your analyst hat on because you know the game. Phoenix loses to Denver, right? They shot over 50%. They didn't shoot well from three, but they got out-rebounded by, like I think it was like 11 or 12 rebounds, right? Put Kevon Looney on the Suns. Do they win that game? Man, so they uh, I watched that game, and it just it got out of hand, and, and they got out-rebounded right. for sure. I mean, look, Aiton eight, eight is size, but he's not as relentless a rebounder. Nowhere near no, it as Looney that's is. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Take it, pull up Aiton out, yeah, and put Looney in in that game when he's playing with with Durant and all those guys, right? I think you know they win the game because he's getting every rebound. Back to Steph for a moment. So, do you agree with me that? I think so before last year before they won it last year and the the game the game of that series against Boston was game 4 you know in Boston when they were down 2-1 and he went for 43 it was an insane game and then he had the the mm-hmm. closeout game I think before last year's postseason I mean, I, I keep a running, I, I keep a list because I always get into these debates and I, I want my list to always remain consistent of who my top 10 to top 15 are. And I think before last year, everybody, you know, widely regarded Steph Curry as, you know, clearly a first ballot Hall of Famer, the greatest shooter right. in the history of the game, but not at the Michael Magic, LeBron, um, you know, Wilt Russell, Kareem level. And I think last year, them winning that title with him winning the MVP, and then you put that, then you carry that over into this postseason when, look, all season long they're banged up and they didn't have Wiggins late and you don't know what's going to happen to them in the postseason. And 
He goes for 50 in a Game 7 at Sacramento, and we still get to watch him hopefully for another month. I'm rooting for them to to beat the Lakers. Um, But I think now people view him differently. Now I think people view Curry as in that mix for one of the greatest players who's ever lived. Not not the top 10, not somewhere between 8 and 15, but higher than that. Well, he clearly is, and I agree with you there. Um, how do you not put him in that category of a Michael and a Kobe and, and Wilt? You know, he's a different type of player, which is really why a lot of people won't put him in there, because he's very much of a finesse guy. You know, versus like Michael was, you know, explosive and crazy physical and, you know, and LeBron's that way too. Steph's not, but given his talent of scoring and his shooting, you've got to put him up there. But he's a different, you know, he's, he's a different type of player than those guys. You know, like Wilt and, and you know, Bill sure, Russell. Sure, and, That's, you know, the, all, all the yeah. greats. He's, he's unique in that way, is in that he's not physically, you know, uh, like you walk away when you like when you see Jordan or LeBron, you know, walk away going, wow, those guys are, you know, just crazy athletes. And it's the complete package. It's physicality. It's athleticism. It's skill set. With him, it's not. It's, it's, it's all like grace, like he's playing on clouds. And if you don't take into consideration when you are having these arguments, which I really don't like because I think all, like there's a lot of players that are great and they're great for their own reasons. How do you not put Steph in there with those guys now? Well, you know me, I do sports talk radio, so I love these conversations. So maybe right. here's the better question, because it's always been very difficult, and I would agree with you, it's always been very difficult. I, I think there's like a center conversation and then a non-center conversation, because Wilton, Russell, and Kareem, you know, and, and Elijah Wan, who I have always felt has been very underrated in the center conversation. Um, but maybe the question is, is... Because to me, Magic's always been the greatest point guard that's ever lived. I, I think Magic, mm-hmm. you, I, I've always had Magic at the top of my list right there with Michael. Is he the best point guard now that's ever lived? Is he better than Magic? Two, di- two completely different players. Understood. You know, it, you know, here's the thing. You know, what are those guys? You know, was Ma- you know Magic played uh, in the playoffs where he played center? <laughs> center yeah. You know, what's, what's Steph Curry? He's not... You know, he's not, you know, Steph Curry is not Steph Curry if he's a distributing point guard, quote unquote, point guard. He's, you know, he's a combo guard and he, you know, he's a guard, you know, and he, you know, he could do anything. He doesn't need the ball. He doesn't need to be ball dominant, you know, to score. He can play the catch and shoot game. That's why he's so unique. That's why you've got to put him up there as one of the greatest players to ever play. But, you know, I think the way the game has evolved right now, you know, what's Giannis? You know, what are these guys? Everyone, everyone could put it on the floor. Everybody could shoot threes. Everybody could handle it. You know, and it's become positionless, but, you know, which is cliche at this point. But what is Steph? Yeah, I know. You know it, it's, it's a great it's answer. A great point. What is he? It's a great point. It's, it's so... The game has changed, but you know, God, I mean, like you said about magic, I mean, we had, here's the thing that where they're similar 
they were totally different for their time, right? We had never seen a six right, foot nine right. inch point guard, and we'd never seen somebody able to stretch the floor the way Curry has. Curry's changed. I, I, I describe it all the time as he's essentially changed the geometry of of the floor because you have to guard so much more space now defensively in the league because of not just three-point shooters, Glenn, but the length in which they shoot the three. I mean, remember, it. you know, just 50, you go back 15 years, and if somebody pulled up in transition from 38 feet, you'd be like, what in God's name is he doing? And now we see that every night across the league. I mean, and that was what Curry changed. Yeah, he changed the game. You know, um, like I, I just think, you know, can you you can call him a point guard, you can call him whatever you want. I don't care. You know, he's not your stereotypical point guard. Nope. You know, maybe even like Chris Paul is. You know, Chris Paul's ball dominant. You know, he's he's constantly making the spectacular pass. The other thing about Steph Curry is that no one really talks about is he's kind of like like. Birdish, and you know, in that he sees things before it happens. Definitely, but he, but it's not just passing with him; it's scoring. Like I don't think I've ever seen anyone pick up a loose ball like he does on a scramble without even putting it back on the floor, and he's scoring. Like that's that's like savant stuff. So you get that with Steph. Yeah, the the last bucket that he had, I mean, he was doubled. He split the double with the dribble, lost it briefly, got it back. The ball probably didn't come up from the floor more than maybe an, a, a twelfth of an inch as he dribbled right. it fingertips to the rim. It, it, it really is his his... His feel uh, around the bucket, shooting wise, with you know the the right flow, you know the 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 right trajectory, the right English, everything about him is very savant like um, with a basketball. It's like the ultimate kind of extension of his. Yeah, it was you know, like it's like magic. It's yeah, like, yeah, it's like magic. It's like bird. Like those guys, like you know, teams are playing checkers. He's playing. He's playing chess. Yeah, you know. Wait, the way he moves without the ball mm. is, you know, I mean, like, that's the thing with Steph Curry. You know, like, you compare him to, like, you know, Iverson, who, you know, crossover and, you know, bang, bang, two dribbles, and, he, you know, he's dunking it or he's blowing by you. Steph almost doesn't even need the ball to score. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking as you were talking too, is that the move he made, you know how he will use the dribble sometimes as a way to set up the the step back. And because as a defender, you know that occasionally he'll go hard forward and then he'll cross over and step back. And yesterday he started to step back and the defender went flying at him and he never gave up the dribble and it was right by him. Right. And it's just, it's really incredible um, to watch. Uh, it's fun, man. It's, he's fun to watch, man. Yeah. He's got the hezzy game, you know, oh, up hesit- and down. Yeah. And you can't, you can't guard him. You know, like he makes you stand up. You know, the, the, the cardinal rule in, de- in playing defense, don't stand up. You stand up, you're going to get burned, right? right. Yeah. He, Play low. He forces you. Yeah, he forces you. To, you ha- almost have to play in him because he's constantly with the hezzy moves and up and down and, getting you a little bit off balance and then he you know he exploits where you are and you know where you're not and it's over with 
It's over with. Um, who do you like, the Warriors or the Lakers? You know, I'd like to see the Warriors. I just I like watching Steph. I mean, I like watching Clay. You know, um, I I just like what I'm seeing with that team. I mean, but but the Lakers play. By the way, is there? I mean, is there a bigger? fraud team than Memphis with all of their yapping and all of their talking. And Dylan Brooks wouldn't even talk to the media after the final two games. I mean, they got emasculated yeah, in, that, in that last game. That, yeah, that, yeah. Well, you know, that's what happens when you talk smack. You know, it always comes back at you. So you like the Warriors as well. See, I, the one, I think the difference maker, obviously, well, you, you mentioned Looney, and that's going to be interesting. Obviously, Steph, but for them, I think it's AD. If he plays to his level every night, they're really difficult to beat. Oh, they are. Look, you know, the thing is with that team, when LeBron's LeBron, you know, and when AD's playing, those two guys, when they're playing at a top level, there's not many guys in the NBA that are better. So they are good enough to carry that team. And, you know, so I'm not counting them out. I'm just saying I would like to see Golden State beat the the Lakers. I would like that. Do I think it's going to happen? I really don't know. Lakers clearly can beat them. Yeah, I want to see the same thing. I mean, I'm not – I mean, I'm just – I don't want to see LeBron continue to do this. He's great. I'll never deny his greatness. But I'm a bigger Curry fan and and Golden State fan. Uh, They are, by the way, for those of you interested, minus 165 at my bookie. Um, So they're a favorite uh, to win this series. They've got home court advantage as well. Denver smoked Phoenix in that first game. Do you like them to win this series? Before this series started, I liked Phoenix. You know, um... I, I, you know, it's one game, so it's tough to say. I, I think if Phoenix doesn't rebound, if they don't get loose balls, if they don't do the little things, that they're not going to beat Denver. And if Jamal Murray is yeah. playing the way he's playing, holy cannoli! I mean, that guy looked like an All NBA player, you know, and he looked like he looked in the bubble a couple of years ago. So. He, if he's playing that way, Denver's going to be tough to beat because they're deep. They are and, deep. And, you know, Jokic is Jokic, is Jokic, one of the, you know, most difficult guys, difficult matchups in the NBA. Yeah, they are deep. You know who I really thought played well the other night was Jeff Green. I mean, you know, they've got, they yeah. got veterans. Um, I, I, I agree with you. They are deep um, on that team. So, um Jimmy Butler, to me, Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler have been two of my favorite players, not only in the league, but in sports over the last few years. And Kawhi is what he is with load management and the whole thing. It sucks that he got hurt because that was a legitimate injury. I actually think that they would have had a chance to win that series had he uh, remained upright. Butler and the Heat rallied. They beat the Knicks in game one, but Butler rolled his ankle. It looked pretty... I mean, he was used pretty much as a decoy through the rest uh, through t- till the end of that game over the final five minutes. Um, what do you think about this particular series? I guess we have to assume that he's healthy enough, uh, but if he's injured, obviously it's major advantage, Knicks. Oh yeah, you know this is where injuries really. You know, it's not the regular season; they they don't have games where they can sit. This is nitty gritty time. 
So we, we none of us know what the extent of that injury was. I know he turned it really bad, but, you know, Jimmy Butler has been, I mean, how do you not want to play with that guy? Mm. I mean, how do you not want to be in a foxhole with that guy on your team? Badass. You know, I mean, he's badass. the, oh man, he's the ultimate competitor, you know, and he will outwork people. I mean, you know, the other thing is, is look what injuries are doing now. I mean, Embiid might not play tonight. Yep. You know, if Butler doesn't play, I mean, this is, you know, you got to get past these games. What do you do if you're Philly? I mean, what do you, you know, what do you do? Do you, do you maybe chance and play him? You know, what do you do if you're the Heat? You, you upset the Knicks, who I, by the way, I do like the Knicks team. Um, I think they're they're physical enough to beat Miami. So it's look, they you know they they lost an important game one and with no Randall, yeah, with no Randall. But when he's healthy, but that's what I mean about injuries. Randall, Embiid, yeah, Butler, I know, you know these guys, man. Like it, and look, Embiid is probably going to win MVP. So you take him off Philly, they're not Philly. You know, you take Butler off of Miami, they're not Miami anymore. You know, and this is what's going on. So you got to kind of fight through the injuries and hope you make the right decisions by not forcing these guys back too quickly, too. You don't want to hurt their long term. I, um, I, I, the, the, they spread it out a little bit in this round. I hate this, um, because I, because as an example, uh, Miami and the Knicks play tomorrow night, and then game three isn't until Saturday back in South Beach. So maybe they'll sit uh, Butler since they won game one tomorrow night and try to get him ready for for the two home games. Um, and it, the 76ers and Celtics play game one tonight, and then I think they play game two Wednesday night. Then they don't play again until Sunday. So we'll see um, how it works. But, uh, you know, last one, Glenn, like before the uh, – when, when Kawhi went out, I actually liked Phoenix to win that series, and I thought Phoenix had a really good chance to, to, to get to the NBA Finals. Um, and I thought it would be Milwaukee, actually. Uh, so I was dead wrong about that. But right now, who do you have in the NBA Finals? Who do you have winning it? Oh, man, I, you know, it's it really depends on the health of these guys. You know, I I still think that, um, boy, I think Boston's going to go for the East and the West. I think, you know, if I mean, it could be the Lakers, could be Denver. Uh, I mean, one of those teams. Kevon Looney. Or Golden State, you know. Or Golden State. I don't It's tough to say. Kevon Looney could be the most underrated, understated, and undervalued player, not by Warriors, in the history of the NBA. That was Glenn Consor on Twitter. I just read the tweet that you read a little bit earlier. Um, he was incredible. Uh, and so are you today, which makes me believe that I will call you again soon. <laughs> well, what I, here's what I don't understand. So, what? you know, you don't call me that often to come on, which I'm good that, with. That's you not, know, well, um, I don't call anybody of, to talk about the Wizards no, no, that often. No, 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 I'm good with it. But then when you call, I'm on the phone with you for a half hour. <laughs> Over a half hour we're talking. Yeah, well, it's easy. I mean, that must mean that, that, that it works. So we'll, I don't we'll know, do... man. This is the longest interview I've ever had, I think. <laughs> well, it's a podcast. But... That's the benefit of the podcast. Oh, okay. Well, I can go longer All right, whatever it you. is. I don't care. Um, yeah, you could. Great job. I appreciate it. I hope you're well. All right, buddy. My pleasure. Glenn Consor, everybody. Glenn is such uh, a great dude. Uh, all right. That is it for the show today. Back tomorrow with Tommy and then Cooley on Wednesday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.